0: Man, I just love that update and opportunity just to celebrate what Jesus is doing. And as Whitney said, we'll be talking more about that as we prepare for Beyond Sunday. But thank you guys for being here. I know that you could be a whole lot of different places, whether you're watching, whether you're in the lobby, whether you're in here, but we really appreciate this gift that you've given us, which is some of your time. And if we haven't met, my name is Todd, and we're in a series called Winning at Home and maybe you've asked the question, um, why are we in this series? Or maybe you just rolled in today for the first time. and You're like, okay, why are we in this series? Well, on May 3rd, 2023, um, the Surgeon General issued an advisory on, on what the Surgeon General is calling an epidemic going on in our nation. And it's an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. And based on their research, here's what they say. They say that 50% of people, that's one and two, So look at your neighbor, say, is it me or you? Maybe both of us, I don't know. But 50% of us are struggling with loneliness. To be honest, this dwarfs the um, health issues like heart disease, diabetes, obesity is closest with 41.9%, but still 50% is higher than that. And so this is a problem, and the crazy thing that you may not realize, some of the medical doctors here with us today probably know this, that there are similar health effects, negative health consequences to loneliness as there are to obesity, diabetes, and heart disease. And yet, despite all of this, only about 20% of those suffering from loneliness and isolation will admit it. And we're not even talking about asking for help yet, we're just talking about admitting it. Not only that, if you look at marriage, how's marriage going in the United States of America? Well, the stats say that of first marriages, one and two, 50% will end in divorce. 67% of second marriages will end in divorce. 73% of third marriages end in divorce, according to an article in Forbes. But the church, we're doing great, right? There's actually conflicting information here. Some people say the church is doing really well. Barna who just based on my research and experience, they have some of the most reliable church statistics I've ever seen. So I know there's debate over this, but Barna says that within the church, we actually have a higher divorce rate than the culture. Here's my point. Whether Barna's right or the other people are right, it shouldn't be a debate. (laughs) Like the church should be better than the culture at large. So what the stats tell us is that we're struggling. That there's a whole lot of losing at home. And I mentioned both loneliness and marriage because this whole idea of winning at home is incredibly relevant no matter our relationship status. I mean, you can be lonely and married or you can be lonely and single. And the divorce rates show us that a whole lot of people, maybe some of you guys, are single again as a result of divorce and you never thought you'd be here because you're not walking down the aisle thinking, "Ah, I'll give this about seven years. No, like, like none of us are thinking that and so it's prevalent if we're honest that we're losing at home and when we talk about home what we mean just to make sure we're all on the same page we're talking about the relationships that matter most to us we're talking about the people that we text or call or reach out to when things are really good or when things are really bad we're talking about the people that we would give the label of family to, even if they're not blood, because we all know that family is bigger than blood. We're talking about people that are often around our home and we're around theirs, and rather than trying to have a pristine house when they come over, they may actually help our house look better <laughs> before they leave, because we're just ourselves around them. And what the stats show us and what our experience confirms, that's it's really, really difficult to win at home. And so where we're going today based off that is we're going to talk about a principle that can diminish conflict, not eliminate. I'm not selling you something that's not true, but a principle from God's word that can diminish conflict. Because I'm convinced, and I think if a lot of us can get on board with this pretty quickly, that if we could diminish conflict, there'd be less loneliness because we wouldn't have some friendships that have ended or that are strained. If we could diminish loneliness, then the divorce rate would also. Go, if we could diminish conflict, then the divorce rate would also go down with it. And so, to talk about that principle. We're going to be in Matthew chapter seven. If you want to join me in your Bible or Bible app, there. As you're going there, I just want to take a moment and honor Micah Davis. I don't think Micah is in this gathering. He may be going to be here at the eleven fifteen. But a couple years ago, Micah came up to me and. He was at Lee at the time. He's a young professional now, um, starting his career. But Micah said, Todd, if, if, if we as public church don't disciple and teach people about relationships, then we're missing an incredible opportunity. Because no matter our age or stage of life, we all have relationship struggles. And so I'm so grateful that Micah said this. And honestly, ever since then, and, and really even before Micah said that, it was just confirmation, I was trying to do this series. And I kept trying to do it. And God didn't give me the green light until this year. So maybe you're sitting here going, man, the timing for this series is, is just right. Know that that is because your Father in heaven loves you and has set this up at just the right time for you. And so what we're doing and what we've been doing is we're talking about five principles, principles from God's word that when applied can help us win at home. And, and to clarify that, if so we think about winning at home, it doesn't mean we're not going to have any losses. But it's about actually piling up some wins as well and changing the trajectory. One thing I've prayed in this series is that God would literally change the trajectory of some of our relationship towards winning away from just honestly going away. And so... Here's the five principles. I give them every week. We've only got um, one more week left, but you can decide if you want to come back next week or not, okay? Just trying to help you out. Or if you've missed, you can decide which of these you want to go back and watch on YouTube or listen to on our podcast. But we kicked off the series with the awareness principle. Then we talked about the replacement principle. Then the long game principles last week. Today we'll talk about the measuring principle. And then next week we'll land the plane with the attraction principle. So that's where we've been. But I want to take just a moment and review the first three principles because they're honestly all connected and they build on each other. And some of you, it might be your first time here. Others of us, we've just slept and forgotten things. So I think it's beneficial for all of us to take a moment and remember where we've been. So the awareness principle. Um, let's all read this together. It's going to be on the screen. We'll start with the enemy. Ready, go. The enemy does not live in your home, but he is attacking your home. We have an awareness that this is true. Because without it, what's going to happen is we end up attacking people within our home and treating them as if they are the enemy. But they're not the enemy. But there is an enemy. And he is real. So the awareness principle helps us be able to unite and fight the outside attack. So two things we've done, and I remind us of these every week, because it all starts with awareness. We're not going to be able to win at home and fight back unless we're aware, is we're asking this question, what else is going on? This is a question Whitney and I were asking yesterday and even this morning when we had some behavior problems with our kids. We're like, hold on, what else is going on? It we really felt like the enemy was attacking in that moment. And so it helped us not be so frustrated with our kids, but realize there's more going on here. What else is going on? And then also that we would pray the armor of God, that's Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, every single day, daily, that we would just go to battle for those people. And if we pray that prayer, it reminds us that we're being attacked. So awareness is built in to that scripture. And then week two, we talked about the replacement principle, and this reality that we are replaceable everywhere except your home. So let's read that together, starting with you. Ready, go. You're replaceable everywhere except your home. Just, just a few more stats from the U.S. Census Bureau. It says, if we, it says that one in four um, kids are raised in a home without a dad. There's so many kids raised in homes without parents that if we took all those kids, we could fill up New York City two times and fill up Los Angeles four times. And there's all kinds of negative repercussions from being raised without your dad. So dads, we're needed. We're necessary. We can be replaced at work, but we cannot be replaced in our home. But for all of us, there's a friend that's on our home team And and it may be this week, it may be next week, it may be three weeks from now, but that friend's going to go through something. And they're going to need our availability. And here's the thing, they can call us, get coffee with us, show up at our house uninvited, and they can just start. No context needed. We know their story. Boom, they can just go. But if we are unavailable, they're going to have to sit down with somebody else and explain it all and go through stuff, or worse yet, they might not open up at all. We're irreplaceable in that friendship. It's coming, Get ready, and let's make sure that when that time comes, we recognize, hey, I got all this stuff going on, but my friend needs me, and I'm replaceable everywhere except on my home team. So I'm going to be here for my friend in this moment. That's the replacement principle. And then last week, we talked about the long game principle. Start with what? Let's read it together. What we want in the end alters how we live in the middle. What we want in the end alters how we live in the middle. Just just one scripture on this, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Here's what it says. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You always harvest what you plant. Now, no, we're not farmers. But here's the thing. If we don't plant it, we're never going to harvest it. So some of us are like, man, I hope that later on my kids choose to be with me. But if we won't choose to be with our kids now, they're not going to choose us later on. Someone's like, hey, I want my marriage to be thriving 50 years from now. Well, what are we doing today to invest in that thriving marriage 50 years from now? Because sometimes we're trying to harvest things and we haven't planted anything. And so that's what the long game principle is. And I just wanted to share with you guys, specifically for your physical parents or, or maybe you're discipling somebody, because we're all either physical parents or spiritual parents. And by spiritual parents, it means that we are discipling someone and teaching them how to follow Jesus All of us who follow Jesus should be doing that. And so here's some prayers that that Whitney and I pray for our our kids, for Liam and Oliver and Ella. And and what I just want to point out here is the long game principle, that we're thinking about things that we want to see in their lives later on, and we're going to Jesus and asking him for them right now. So for example, we pray that our kids would listen and do. In other words, they would obey us, okay? Okay. But that's not just to make our lives easier. That's because here's what Jesus said. Jesus said the wise man is the person who hears Jesus' words and does what he says. The wise person is someone who listens and does. So we pray that they would listen and do with us so that one day they will listen and do with Jesus. We pray that they would respond and engage And that they would have manners with people, not just so that they're polite and people go, oh, you're so cute and polite. No, because relationships are critical. And if we can't listen and engage and speak to people and they speak to us, then how are we going to have the thriving relationships that they need? We pray that they would be problem solvers because we want them to be leaders. And guess what leaders do? They solve problems. (laughs) We pray for an awareness in them, an awareness of Jesus, an awareness of the Holy Spirit. From an early age, they would hear the holy spirit's voice just like samuel did in the old testament that they would know that there's a our fathers in heaven who loves us if you're unfamiliar with what i just did i talked about the trinity that god is one and he expresses himself in three unique persons god the father god the son and god the holy spirit but also they have an awareness of other people if you don't have kids you have to teach them that because they'll just run into people they don't even know that they're there okay they'll just cut in front of people like some of your parents are laughing like you have to teach them everything all right anyway just side note and also an awareness of the enemy How are they going to resist his attack if they don't know he's there? And so we pray that they would be honest with us. Why? Because our Father in heaven invites us to be honest with him. We pray that they would ask first. Say, if we haven't trained you to do something, then instead of just doing it, ask us first. Why? Because God wants us to pray first. And not just rush into action, but to pray first. So look, that's just an example of saying, if we want something in the end, how does it alter our behavior right now? That's the long game principle. And so today we're gonna to build off of those with the measuring principle. And it starts in Matthew chapter seven. And if you're unfamiliar with this text, this is the greatest sermon ever called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus didn't just say this one time on a mountain, like he did say it one time on a mountain. But as he traveled around, this is kind of like his greatest It's Like he just keeps sharing this and keeps sharing this because he couldn't just say it once and put it on YouTube. Like he had to go around and tell everybody. And so this is central to what it means to follow Jesus. And in the middle of this teaching, here's what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. And none of us have a problem with this, do we? So let's just keep going. In fact, the reputation of the church and culture, uh, we're never considered critical or judgmental, are we? Okay, that's fine. Let's just keep going. No, this is a big problem, isn't it? What this word judge means, it literally means to step into the role of critic, and and I'm getting up on my toes because in the role of critic, I'm naturally looking down upon you, because I'm all right, and you're not. So do not judge, or you too will be judged. What do you mean I'll be judged? Well, Jesus goes on. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I don't know how we can read that verse and not be haunted a little bit. With the measure we use, it's going to be used on us. Now, if you're like, well, are you sure? I just want you to think about your experience. When someone comes at you and they start critiquing you, no, I'm not going to throw you into the bus. I'll just say what I do, and then you can either nod or can be like, no, I'm, I'm really good, and then I'll point you back to verse 1. Anyway, um, <laughs> when someone comes at me and starts critiquing me, here's what naturally comes up inside of me. Man, I start picking them apart. Yeah. Well, I did this. Well, let me tell you this. Well, I did this, and I may not ever verbally express that, but mentally, you know what I'm doing? You're judging me. I'm judging you. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's the natural human reaction, and what Jesus is doing is he's pointing that out. He's saying that if we're gonna judge other people, we're actually inviting them to judge us. If we're gonna measure other people, we're inviting them to use that same measurement on us. So, in our home team, as we get up on our tiptoes to look down on people and we're like, boom, guess what we're inviting them to do? The same thing back to us. To help us understand, Jesus tells what is honestly an hilarious story. For some of us, it's so familiar. We're just like, oh, that's cute. No, this is, but like, imagine this. Jesus is trying to get us to use our imagination and think about this. So it says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Again, speck of sawdust. Like, contextually, they're talking about something from like a bird's nest. So something really little. And plank would be like a big log. So he wants us to imagine somebody that has like, dust in your eye and it's just tiny and you're like let me see to get that out while you've got a huge log protruding out of your eye i mean it's a funny visual and then he says this how can you say to your brother let me take this speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye it's basically like hey let me try to look into your eye and and let me get that out that's what he's saying can i see katie let me just here i'm gonna stab her in the eye okay i'm not gonna do it don't worry but it's not gonna work it's ridiculous to even think about And so he says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. (laughs) In other words, deal with your own junk first. But so often we want to deal with somebody else's junk first. And he uses this word hypocrite. In Greek, it literally means to become like an actor. You're pretending to be something. So when we step into the role of critic and we judge other people, We're actually pretending to be God. That's actually his job. He's the only one holy enough and just enough to actually judge us. So when I come and I'm going to try to condemn or judge somebody else and be like, let me get that speck out of your eye. I'm pretending to be God. I'm not God. That makes me a hypocrite. I'm pretending to be someone I can never be. So I'm going to give you the measuring principle in two parts. Here's the first part. Measuring principle. Basically, stop it, okay? But really, the first part is stop measuring. Jesus is clear, <laughs> okay? Stop measuring. You're like, well, how does this apply to relationships? Well, we'll start with marriage. Because if you're married, if you want to be married, something you've probably heard is, hey, marriage is a partnership and it's 50-50. I think people mean well when they say that. But here's how that plays out. You are constantly measuring your spouse to see if they're at 50%. And you're like, hmm, you just at 46 today, and I will just sit here on the couch until you get to your 50%. Because I'm at 50, and I ain't going no more. I'm actually, I mean, I'm just being humble. I'm probably like at 50.5% because I did empty the dishwasher, um, and you didn't ask. You also didn't say thank you, 51%. Um, So when you start moving, I'll start moving. Isn't it true? Worse yet, some of us have found ourselves in places where the other person's like at 10%. And that's where we start talking about divorce. And look, divorce happens sometimes. But maybe some of those could be prevented if instead of just crossing our arms and going, I'm not moving until you move, we stopped measuring. So so measuring looks like this in a friendship. And and I've seen this play out. This is part of the problem of loneliness, not the only problem, but part of the problem. As I've heard so many people say, I'm not calling her. I'm not texting. You know who has initiated the past five lunches? Me! And if we go back, I only started counting five times ago, but I've probably done like 19 out of 20 I send the text, I make the call, I pick the place, so I even pay the bill. So let them call me. <laughs> and you're both sitting at home lonely on a Friday night wanting something to do. Stop measuring. It's not getting us anywhere. It's not helping us. Now, now some of you may be pushing back. You're like, well, does this mean I can't ever, like, speak truth? Like, what kind of a relationship is that? What kind of a friendship is that? What kind of a parenting relationship is that? What kind of a marriage relationship is that? Does that mean that I can't ever speak truth? No, no. At the end of the parable, the funny story Jesus tells, they still get the speck of the other person's eye. It's just we deal with our own junk first. In fact, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it tells us to restore somebody Gently. But brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you live by the Spirit. You restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Here's the application I would ask for that scripture is, who are you going to let and welcome to take the speck out of your eye? The person who is up high and mighty and is condemning you and self-righteous, or the person who's going, you know what? I've not been exactly there, but I've been here, and here's how God's working in me, so can I help you too? Gently. It's about our attitude. So so stop measuring. So if we don't measure, then what should we do? Well, just a few verses down in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So let's contrast the two lifestyles. The measuring lifestyle is one that is very reactionary. I'm going to do to you what you've already done to me. Side note, that's called abdicating leadership. That's called being passive. And that's called, I can't do anything unless you do it to me first. No, no, no. the Jesus way is I think about what I want you to do to me, and I go ahead and do it for you first. So, So here's the measuring principle. Stop measuring, it's real simple, and love generously. Stop measuring and love generously i'll just use the example of the person who says i'm not calling them i'm not texting them i always initiate maybe that's just your role in the friendship i'm not saying it's right or wrong but maybe based on your personalities you just have that initiative and if you would just reach out today then tonight you could be sitting at tres hermanos having a great time come on somebody over chips and salsa prophesying over your life here Hallelujah. You might even be at Starbucks before that. I mean, I'm just saying. But maybe that's just your role. And maybe if we would stop measuring and just love generously, regardless of what the other person is doing, then it would help our loneliness. In 1 Corinthians 13, in the middle of this incredible passage on love, that should not just be reserved for weddings. It's great for weddings, but it's for real everyday life. It says this line. It says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Physical parents. It's so easy for us to remind our kids of their past mistakes, isn't it? I found myself, I was like this close to doing it yesterday, and I was this close to it because I've done it in the past. And the Holy Spirit was like, stop it. Literally, put this verse in my mind: Love keeps no record of wrongs. Because I wanted to be like, for the past three weeks, this has happened. And we're putting this weight on our kids. And we're putting condemnation and shame on our kids. Instead of gently leading them to repentance. Because love keeps no record of wrongs. What if we just did that in the relationships that matter most? What if we just every day, sometimes multiple times a day, wipe the slate clean? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it change how we interact with people? That we stop measuring and we love generously. So practically, like, like, what does this look like? Well, thankfully, Paul takes what Jesus said here, do for others, what you want them to do for you, and then he, he fleshes it out more in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you want to go there with me, we're going to start in verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's going to practically speak to this a little bit more. As you're going there, I just want to point out something that my counselor told me. Dr. Walmack is amazing, um, and he calls me out in really good ways. And, and here's what he said, just as a final application in Matthew 7 before we move on, because Again, it's so easy for us to critique other people and, and we get so upset with what people in our home team are doing. And he said this, direct quote, what turns me upside down is usually highlighting my own sin and I'm never going back to see him again. <laughs> I was like, I'm done. Thank you, Dr. Walmack, for your services. It has been a pleasure. It's true, isn't it? So perhaps we should recognize That when I'm so mad, or in his words, turned upside down by somebody on my home team, that the Holy Spirit wants to use my frustration and anger as a mirror to point out my own sin. The log in my own eye. So we stop measuring. And we instead, we love generously. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, here's what that looks like. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Huh, what if we just did that? What if we recognize that loving generously means we apply that last phrase, it means we think about, is the way I'm saying this, is the tone in which I'm delivering it, is the content of which I'm delivering it, is it actually going to benefit the other person? Or is it for my benefit because I'm mad and I just want to get it off my chest? Pointing the finger at me. See, when we stop measuring, it actually takes away some of the ammunition that frustrates us so much. Because sometimes we react... Because our spouse asks, like, hey, the girls are doing this thing on, on Friday night. And we're like, you have had three girls' nights in the past two months. I've not been able to even go fishing or go to the Tennessee game or do whatever. I'm so mad. And then we react out of that, and we say things that are not for their benefit. But what if instead we just stop measuring and recognize, you know what? It doesn't have to be 50-50. I'm not measuring. But what's best for you is to be able to spend this time with the girls. I know it's been a really hard week, so you just go. And I'm gonna speak life over you, go, and I'm not gonna be miserable when you get home. Because <laughs> some of us like, go, and then they get home and it's like, you're right? <laughs> right? Come on. So we speak life over people. And then the next verse says this Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We often, I've heard this verse taught, and it's taught well. And focusing on, okay, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Let's not grieve him. Let's not quench him. But the flip side of this is understanding that we are, who follow Jesus, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Like God put his spirit inside of us. And so if, if measuring and if speaking ill of people... And if, what we're going to read the next verse, slander and malice and bitterness, if these things grieve the Holy Spirit, here's the good news. That means that he is working inside of us to produce generous love overflowing out of us. So, yes, don't grieve him, but also let's just cooperate with him. Because it's not in our own power. But he's sealed us, he's in us, and he's helping us to live this out. And so... Here's what he's going to help us do. He's going to help us get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice, because these things, are relationship killers not killers, kill us. <laughs> they kill them, but don't they? You want to destroy a relationship? Apply this verse out of context, speaking from experience. But the Holy Spirit wants to rid ourselves of that, and here's what he wants to put in its place. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Just stop there. One of the ideas of being kind is that we are just pleasant to be around. You know, it's possible to speak truth to people and to help them and to still be pleasant. It's the way of Jesus. So what if we just go, man, am I pleasant to be around? Am I kind? And it says compassionate. That that means soft-hearted. And I know when I'm measuring, I can feel my heart getting hard. And I can feel myself starting to question things. Oh, you said this? Mm, I'm not sure about that. And then I get all judgy and like even the good things they do, I'm like, "Hmm, why are you really doing that? It says that the Holy Spirit wants to keep our hearts soft. Now, this sounds really impossible at this point, and I'm about about ready to quit. And so that's why Paul just keeps going. And he says this, Forgive each other. That's harder, but just keep reading. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Ah. That's the key that unlocks it. How are we kind? How are we compassionate? How do we forgive? There's something else Dr. Womack said. We realize that all the ways people have sinned against us we've sinned against God and yet what did our father do he sent his son what did Jesus do he came and willingly sacrificed his life for us I was listening to a sermon this week and the guy talked about and I know this but it was just like a fresh sitting in it the fact that when Jesus washes the disciples feet he washes Judas' feet Like the guy that's about to get him murdered. He doesn't go, nope, uh, Judas, you gotta go, so slide on out of here. No, he he washes his dirty, smelly, stinky, disgusting feet. That's not measuring. That's an extravagant, lavish, over-the-top type of generous love. In the context of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, well, there's one statement Jesus makes. He says, you know, like Your Father, He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And God is kind and compassionate to those who acknowledge Him and to those who don't. And Jesus died for everybody, to offer forgiveness to everybody, whether or not we actually accept it. So when I'm struggling to forgive, when you're struggling to forgive, we got to think about how Jesus has forgiven us and how he died for us. And then if Jesus can do that for me, then through his Holy Spirit, I can do that for somebody else. Because he goes on in verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, Follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. He says, you got, we got to remember who we are. We are children of God. We're sons and daughters of the King. When we repent and follow Jesus, our identity shifts. And so therefore we can walk in the way of love. That's what Jesus could say with some of his last words, with one of his last commandments, John 13, 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. How? Just as I have loved you. That's what Jesus said. And that's what Paul can write here. And he can say, so walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love in ephesians chapter 3 it says that those of us who follow jesus we're rooted and established in love i love that because here's what it's telling us it's saying that when we follow jesus he plants us in new soil because that's what we know love is not our natural soil is it especially when we've been wronged but love is our supernatural soil that we are planted in and we get to dig down deep roots in That we walk in the way of love. And then he ends by saying this. Just as Christ loved us and gave. Generosity, he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When I'm tempted to measure, I've just got to remember that Jesus wasn't measuring for me. He didn't say, Todd, if you just get to like 2%, because that would have been hard in its own that, all right, I'm not going to make you to 3%. I'll die for you when you get to 2%. No, he just died for us while we were enemies of God, sinners, in act of rebellion against God. Jesus died and on the cross. He actually looked out at everybody, and he said, Father, condemn them because they put me here. No. He looked out on them and said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. That's generous love of the kingdom of God and that's the generous love that will transform relationships so public worship is going to come up to lead us in a couple songs give us a few moments to reflect but as they do there's going to be a couple there's going to be a a prayer on the screen and then an action So, so how do we do with this how do we live this out i just want to invite us to pray a bold wild prayer that every day this week we just pray this prayer holy spirit show me where i'm measuring And then wear some still toe boots because he's going to stomp all over your toes. At least he does for me. But Holy Spirit, show me where I'm measuring. And then here's the thing. When he shows, you confess it. I was measuring. Repent. Turn and walk in a new way. And then here's the new way. Find a simple way to love generously. Imagine. Imagine if on all of our home teams we woke up every day and did this. Imagine if we lived out the measuring principle and we said we're going to stop measuring, we're going to love generously. And we prayed this prayer. When the Holy Spirit said you're measuring instead, we chose lavish, crazy, over-the-top love. Here's what it might look like. For young parents, it might look like a competition to see who can change the most poopy diapers. Because I want to serve you and you want to serve me and nobody's counting the poopy diapers. We're just serving each other. In a friendship, it, it would look like not waiting on a text from the other person, but maybe you both send a text at the same time. Because you love each other and you're checking on each other, you're not waiting around, but you're taking the initiative. In in conflict, it would look like this: Romans 12:18. If possible, so far as it depends on me, live peaceably with all. Notice that didn't say anything about you. All it said was me. So, what all do I need to do? May not be possible. Paul gives two double qualifiers. If possible, so far as it depends on me, it may not work. That's not my job to control outcomes. That's God's job. My role is just to do everything possible to live peaceably with everyone in my home team. And look, here's the reality. We gotta apply this beyond our home team, but we should probably just start there. And imagine a roommate going home. And imagine a roommate being frustrated because once again your part of the chores aren't done it's your week to vacuum it's your week to clean the bathrooms it's your week to do the dishes and you're so mad but then the holy spirit shows you your measure, and you take a moment to realize that your friend has two exams and a paper due and they're stressed to the max and you probably do need to have a conversation about what you guys do and how you divide it up but this is not the moment for that this is the moment to love generously and do all that for them so they can just study imagine if we did that That is the way of Jesus. So if you don't follow him and you're interested in stepping into the way of Jesus, please go back to the prayer corner. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to follow him. If you're online, just email us, prayer at publicchurch.com. And for all of us as we sing, we might need some prayer on this. So if you're in the lobby or if you're in this back corner, if you just walk right over here, there's a prayer corner, and we would love to pray for you. Because all of this is done through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. So let's take some time, let's reflect, let's pray, let's go ask for prayer if we need it, and let's walk in the way of Jesus.